Welcome to a new episode of DevSecOps. And today the topic will be how do you run Kubernetes in the clouds? Hello, my friends. How are you today? Hello, Matthias. Good, thank you. Everything's good. How are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm looking outside. The sky is blue. There's some sun and some snow. It's it's nice. Any snow with you, Andre? No, but we <laughs> do have a little bit of rain today, and that's that's considered to be a bad weather. Okay, I see, I see. Um, have you been working on any cool stuff recently? Julian, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. The cool stuff that I... I'm sorry, I'm so disconnected from uh, everything that uh, I'm, I'm really focused into building uh, a machine learning platform on top of Kubernetes. So oh, I'm cool. actually writing, using the Kubernetes client in Go is quite nice, I would say, compared to yeah. some of the API I used. It takes a bit of uh, architecting if you're building a fully-fledged app. And, you know, Kubernetes is basically a, a database that holds the store, the, the yeah. state of your cluster. But if you use it as a database and you reach some limits, like it might be it might be uh, quite hard to, to deal with, uh, with state in itself because you have to query the database all the time. So oh, it, yeah. it might be... You, if you're building a web app and on top of Kubernetes, sometimes the the lag is, uh, is it provides a painful user experience. So the best is still to use an external database. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah, cool. Andre, have you worked with anything cool? Um, I, matter of fact, yes, yes, uh, I actually do some interesting stuff, like. Um, <clears throat> I published uh, Lambda as a Terraform model, which oh. you could use to... It can monitor your CloudTrail events. And if you're getting some errors in there, for instance, something is trying to do something and it's not authorized to do that, like getting access denied or an authorized operation, it will notify you to Slack. And that's very helpful for troubleshooting. For instance, if you're deploying something with Terraform, services might look fine, might be working fine, but they're actually underneath throwing the IEM errors because they don't have access to something. And that's very helpful to troubleshoot stuff. Plus, uh, in that Terraform model, it's available from Terraform registry. You could also add um, additional events to track. So you could say like every time someone modifies my security group, I want to be notified. Oh, Something nice. like that. Or someone changes a database security group, I want to be notified, yeah. right? Stuff like that. Like I am changes, I want to be notified. And you can even pass complex rules in there written in Python. So it, then it will apply those rules while it's filtering the events in real time. So you could say, I want to know about all events that contain this, like all, all events of this type done by this user, for instance. Ah, it also, yeah, another important feature, it also notifies you about all non-read actions done by root. 
So uh, by root account, so you will get yeah. notification as soon as root logins, and then everything root does that will be go, go directly to your Slack account. Maybe a little bit, a lot, yeah. a lot of stuff, but you're not supposed to be using root anyway, and that's no. a good way of seeing what's going on if something happens. And uh, we use it for a couple of customers. It's open source. It's available for everyone to use. Another another thing that uh, we published as a Terraform um, model also available in the registry is a spot instance pricing model. Yeah, that allows you to. I think I mentioned last time. I, yeah, I it's something about yeah. Yeah, so now it's published and uh, it's improving. So we're finding new cases. How to improve it? So those two are quite cool, and I'm quite happy we got them out to open source. There, is, there are more stuff coming out soon. I will put the links to the show notes. Sounds if good. I, if Sounds I interesting. Do not forget. Yeah, really. I need to have that as well. Sounds really cool. Uh, I, I found a cool project called Maxwell. It's done by Sencast, and it connects to our database as a MySQL uh, replica slave, reads the, the replica from the database, and then converts it to JSON and publishes it to uh, Kafka event queue. Kafka. So, yeah, yeah. And then I hooked up uh, FluentD to that, to read from Kafka, and then into Elastic. So now we're getting events from our old PHP system that only wrote to the SQL server. Cool. Nice. Ma- Maxwell. Maxwell. Cool project. Okay. But uh, the topic today is uh, how you run your Kubernetes in the cloud. But f- but first, uh, what, why should you run it in the cloud? I mean, what's the difference between, for example, COPS and uh, IKS or Google Cloud? That's easy. Yeah. Uh, when you need to update something or you have a security patch or... You just don't have the bandwidth to have the people, you know, keep everything up to date or manage in case of an incident. There is a lot of moving pieces to Kubernetes. And the fact that you can just rent something that has some kind of SLA, uh, it it has its advantages. Yeah. I mean, how how is COPS these days? I mean, COPS was bigger before... EKS was uh, was announced, right? I would say COPS going strong, and I've uh, been using yeah. it for many years. And I like I see what Julian is saying. I not entirely agree with everything. So, like updating with COPS is easy. So COPS is handling upgrades. It can uh, handle CNI installations and stuff like that. So actually, upgrading with COPS and running cluster COPS is relatively easy. Yeah. So the even like you know upgrade from the version of Kubernetes where they were where there was upgrade from ECT2 ECT ECTD2 to ECTD3 that was performed by COPS and COPS managed all of that. It can do rolling oh, updates cool. of the nodes. So it is a handy tool when, when you run Kubernetes on AWS. Yeah. So, but, if but you, you are, get, yeah, do you get like the integration with uh, like 
the cloud provider. I mean, I run AQS and have the no, integration no, to like I mean, auto scaling and. Yeah, you could have after scaling. You, you can have after scaling. That's not not the problem yeah. because after scaling is done by the uh, cluster after scaler, which is a program yeah. that runs in your cluster and integrates with a cluster pro- uh, with a cloud provider. Yeah. What you don't get is uh, you don't get cloud provider security team working on security of your master nodes, which yeah. is a big yeah, deal. True. If yeah. you have to go through regulations, you, yeah. you don't really want to sec- like you know do PCI DSS hardening for your Kubernetes masters because no. it's a pain in the back. It's a lot yeah. of work, and if you could pay Amazon, Google, whoever to do it for you, you should do that. So you know all of that stuff. Actually, we've been holding back from using EKS a little bit, especially yeah. when uh, the first version came out. It was quite expensive. You you, yeah. you you should have pay a lot for a cluster. Google went in a positive direction, so they said, like, yeah, it's free. Well, it's actually not after a while, but yeah, it's kind of, they started with free, now you have to pay for masters. Yeah. Amazon started from high and going down to low. I yeah. think marketing-wise, Amazon is doing it smarter. Because you know, saying that you actually decrease the price all the time is better than saying you de- increase the price. But anyhow, yeah. Uh, what, but I mean, the, but now yeah. I just want to finish with about the yeah. price. When you pay about seventy bucks per per cluster, it's comparable. If you would uh, set up your own cluster, for instance, if you pay for all the compute you use. Like for instance, running on spot nodes or like half on the spot nodes, half on the divan, paying for EBS volumes, paying for load balancer, all of that adapts actually, and you might even spend more running it on your own, comparing to buying the service from cloud provider. So wow. here you you already have yeah. economy, plus there are a lot of operational and security issues taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, and better integration. So yeah, but I mean, we all tested EQS when it when it arrived, right? It was uh, it was hard getting running. But one of the the main thing was their CNI, like the network, uh, yeah. the new network that they have in AWS. And I mean, it, in the beginning, you were limited to like IPs on different nodes, yeah. right? Uh, I, I think to remove it now, I don't. No, not exactly. So it's, it's you still boot- there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, while you're booting up your uh, cluster, you're getting yeah. AWS VPC CNI. Yes. That allows you to map the ports to ENIs. So yeah. technically, from the user perspective, it would look like that pod has a Elastic Network interface. It has like a VPC bound IP address. Yeah. Yeah. And you can attach, for instance, security group on top of that, which is, yeah, I mean, which might be appealing. I, I really like that Jiki, I think, like almost from the beginning, they had a possibility to load balance traffic directly to the ports. Yeah. While uh, in other cases, like for instance, if you have self hosted cluster, you have to go through the ingress and then uh, balance traffic through the 
through yeah. the um, internal network or use node port and then just, you know, bombard all the nodes with the requests yeah, and yeah. then hope that the routing will take care of itself. What, yeah. what kind of CNIs do you use, right? What was your favorite here? If you run AKS, you run the default or do you change it to something else like Calico, Flannel or... By default, I think, oh, at least on, on GKE, I think it's Calico that is the default one. Although they might have switched to um, recently uh, Cilium, which yeah. I, I have to check because... But basically, what what the CNI allows as well is network policies. Like this is yeah. where you can handle uh, the all the segregation across different services. The problem of the load balancing is really because you're still living on, on, on VM under the hood. If two pods arrive on the same VM, the load balancing is still going through the, net, the, the network interface of that VM. And so you yeah. don't, it's not the same as VM per se, but the, the main part of the, of the CNI is really to handle networking. So what what do you need from your networking? Do you need mutual TLS? Do you need um, you know clear separation uh, um, across services? Do you need to deny some services yeah. access to some resources? And so it, it all depends on your use case. I, I don't have a best. That, uh, <laughs> I, there is the default that come with the yeah. you know the cloud provider mm -hmm. whatever it gives you, and usually that's good enough. If yeah. you have more um, more advanced needs, there are plenty of options out there. I I, I played a, a bit with uh, Cilium, but it was a long time ago. Uh, what I liked is that it used eBPF, yeah. so it's the Linux kernel. Um, the, Big fan. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the eBPF is really an improvement in terms of uh, monitoring and and operation because you can directly talk to the Linux kernel without yeah. going through user space. So you have a bit of performance gain there. And you, you can do a lot of things. Like the, the, the problem with Sidecar as well is that if you talk everything through localhost in the stack, you have to go through layer three to yeah. go to localhost and then yeah. go back. And so the, yeah. you have the, the, that shift between user space and kernel space that, yeah. that is actually at scale can become a problem. Yeah. Although not really... You know, I, I wouldn't say that many people have, you know, I've never heard someone saying like, oh, my network is so slow because of that problem. You understand? It, yeah, it's, yeah. There, there is many, many other problems to solve before you reach there. Yeah. So, but, but this is uh, my question to you. You have seen a lot more installation than me. And I mean, I've seen this demos. You see them at conference like Muta TLS, Cilium, like injecting failed tolerance into network and all this. Is this used? By, by people, right? Regular oh, definitely, people. definitely. Especially, especially everything related to network policies. When yeah. you need to, as soon as you have an audit, you have to prove uh, to to the auditor that your network is secured in some way, and yeah. that some services cannot talk to some others. Yeah. Also, it's really hard to convince someone who's used to see firewall rules. <laughs> all his life that suddenly you have a, a, a wall of YAML explaining what yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it, it's a, a mindset shift, you know. You you have yeah, to, 
to show and and teach and educate a lot before you you get there but it's it's doable i mean the technology is sound and it it allows for more i would say software defined network so where you you just you know say well okay i i want to I want to scale this uh, network. I want to add more nodes. I want to to do the. I want everything to be routable the way I want it yeah. to be. Um, so, how much control do you really need? How much control do you really want? Mutual TLS is almost like a given if you're in a, you know, um, audited space. So you, you you need to encrypt. There is no way around it. Like you you won't pass your your first round if you're. If you're not encrypted, and en- I think it's en- encryption, encryption and much TLS are different things, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Explain. Yeah. Much TLS, you 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 tell who you are through certificate. Basically, every workload is authenticated to talk to another one because they they have certificates and then they they they, they would establish encrypted yeah. connection and they yeah. will know who they are. But you could have encryption without MTLS. Yeah. yeah so it's the difference between authorization and authentication. It's like you you uh, have to, it's, to. It's the same. It's not the so same. So MTLS is additional thing. So like with encryption on the wire, like you have HTTPS, right? Yeah. So there's some IP address sending traffic to you. You have no idea who they are. With MTLS, the remote side have to provide a certificate that you trust. And then you use certificate to authorize them to send the traffic yeah. to you. With, with encryption. Uh, now, with mutual TLS, oh. you say that the client and the server, you always know who they are, right? But with regular encryption or like HTTPS, yeah. you don't know who the client is. You only build the yeah, exactly. you just, server. Yeah. The pipe is encrypted in both ways. Yeah. Yeah. But with just encryption, you have no idea who is talking to you. With MTLS, you have a remote site has an identity that they can prove with a certificate. Yeah, yeah. And then all the network policies, they basically build on the fact that there is some identity so they can say, this identity can talk to another one. Like for instance, in Console Connect, it's built on the MTLS, every port gets a certificate, well, like every site container and port gets a certificate. And then based on those certificates, you could say, this service can talk to that service. You're not talking IPs any longer. You're mm, talking yeah, at I different level of abstraction. Yeah, yeah exactly. But do you feel, when you set up a new cluster, do you add mutual TLS and like a service mesh into that cluster for a, for a client, or is something yeah, they uh, have to ask for, or it's like having a setup? There are multiple considerations that you have to do yeah. when it comes to choosing CNI. I mean, it depends on the regulation oh, yeah, and yeah. like, I mean, having encryption is a good thing, and on AWS. You can have encryption in multiple ways. What you could have is uh, multiple, I think like quite a big number of instances that are built on the Nitra today, like the CR families, all of that. You have to you have to Google it, but they will have automated encryption for the communication between the nodes. Yeah. So Amazon will automatically encrypt traffic for you. You don't need to do anything. For instance, T3 instances, T3As, they don't yeah. have that. But the bigger instances, they do. And this is something you can Google, so you can get encryption for communication between the nodes um, just out of the box with AWS, so you don't need to do additional hoops for that. Like uh, back, uh, we, we used, like for instance, when we wanted to save like and use like T-Family, 
uh, then we would use some CNI, which is stands for, I believe, Container Network Interface, right? And uh, we we used uh, Weave. Uh, that basically runs as a daemon set and uh, provides yeah. your overlay network. It provides encryption and encrypts tra- traffic which goes between the nodes, but it doesn't uh, encrypt the traffic that goes within the same node, right? No. So okay. you, you have this limitation. And yeah. and if you have someone on the node, then and, and if that someone has enough permissions to install Wireshark, yeah, yeah. You kind of they they can sneak on your traffic, but if they yeah. already have enough permissions to install software, you you really yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. the Wireshark is the last yeah. concern you have in that scenario. So yeah, so uh, like, another top topic down. Hold, hold on. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, okay. that... Are you done? Okay, sorry. No. Sorry, go on, Anyhow, so like when you do the AWS VPC CNI, which yeah. is like default to EKS, you can have ENIs, but there are limitations of how many IP addresses you can have per node. Yeah. And that, that's something to be aware of. So check the UKS user guide. It might be, for some instance types, it might be up to 25 IPs per node, which is not a lot. It's like if you have like a lot of site containers and a daemon yeah. set, this number goes down very quickly. And suddenly you could you, you can have like an IP address starvation just because you cannot do anything. And uh, on EKS, I tried Cilium. There is a thing called um, CNI chaining mode where you would have one CNI doing something and then another CNI, uh, basically passing the traffic to another CNI to do something. Oh, that's cool. So I thought, well, since I provision EKS via Terraform, at the moment, there is no way to choose what uh, CNI you're going to get. And I want that procedure to be fully automated. So it's like very complicated to make it so that the AWS VPC is not there, but I could install Cilium in a VPC chaining mode and then have Cilium encrypting traffic and maybe enforcing the uh, network policies and uh, AWS VPC just being responsible for, for allocation of IP addresses, but not using that feature oh. where I would map the IP address on the node because I don't want to have this limitation at the yeah, moment. Yeah. So I might go away from AWS VPC at all at some point. It's just something that I'm experimenting with, but that didn't work. I mean, I wanted to configure it this way. It didn't work because basically there is, you have an issue between uh, AWS VPC CNI not understanding what Cilium is saying. There is some uh, JSON yeah. formatting issue and I couldn't just make it work because they were like failing. And I had like no traffic going between the nodes, not yeah. able to provision the sun, uh, container sandbox, nothing like that. So, yeah, yeah kind of a fiasco there. But I did an open source contribution. So I went on the Cilium Slack, spoke to the people because um, the, the page in the documentation for Cilium that describes encryption could have much more information there. So I first validated with folks that 
I read it correctly and I decrypt what they wrote there correctly about how to configure encryption and what will be encrypted. And then I basically submitted the patch to expand the documentation so people don't have to repeat the same <laughs> mental gymnastics that I did with nice. the documentation. Good. Thank good, you for good, your good. contribution. Yeah, so yeah. Now, I'm, now I'm a Cilium contributor. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. It's Thank really you, important. Beautiful. I think yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. good documentation is really underrated. Like, yeah, yeah. So many hours have been lost, days maybe, have been lost because of a yeah. lack of good documentation. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, network in Kubernetes is easy and hard, man. It's easy if you just run it in EQS or like standard. But if you start adding these service meshes and encrypting, it gets more complicated. But another topic then is like, now you have your service running, right? How do you get traffic into them? You need an ingress, Right. And what is your favorite ingress controllers here? Julian, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I, I, I really like the Istio <laughs> ingress controller. Istio? Istio. Istio. What, what's wrong I, with you? I, well, yeah, this is going to be I interesting I just like here. this one. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the one uh, after using it. or It's not really Istio. It's more like Envoy. And yeah, well, as yeah, a, as yeah. a ingress controller, it's really, really nice. I, I, I love Envoy. I think it's yeah. a brilliant project. It's, it does so much. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like the way that you, you have many different ways to, to tell it what to do, uh, things. Uh, you know, you can just use JSON or YAML, whatever. You have a, an, an endpoint. That you can talk to if it's secured. Don't open that on the internet, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's so convenient, and the, the reason is I still have nightmares of the days where I had to to plan a restart of the nginx config in a Docker container. <laughs> that you you know, like it, it was such a hassle back in the days when <laughs> yeah. you you needed to do that. If Nginx lives in a container, I'm pretty sure it's it's much easier if it's just in a, sitting on bare metal. But in a container, it was like a, I, I lost a few hair that day, you know, trying to to make it work. So maybe I'm I just it's just what I know. I I, I, I know I know Envoy. I love it. Uh, so I'm completely biased towards that. Okay. Uh, now yeah, now we know now we know where your hair went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me, that's a little part of it. And the next, and the next took it all. And Andre, your uh, favorite ingress controller is? Yeah, I'm I'm being boring and just doing uh, the uh, ingress nginx or nginx ingress. So I like like if you look for the Helm charts, there is yeah, nginx yeah. ingress and ingress nginx. I'm like that's yeah, confuse yeah. hell out of people. Yeah, yeah. But it works, and usually I configure it in the way that you have. Uh, ELB or application load balancer bringing traffic yeah, yeah. in and you don't decrypt it on a load balancer. You provide the certificates to the ingress controller to decrypt traffic inside yeah. your cluster. So it's encrypted all the way and then basically rolls the traffic to the service. And it also has abilities to, you know, do the traffic mirroring. The traffic splitting, all those fancy things. So you could technically yeah. do a lot of fault injection stuff or at... fancy routing. But what yeah. I failed to configure is SSL pass through because oh, yeah. I had a uh, one service that lives in Kubernetes and want to decrypt it 
certificate, I mean, wants to decrypt the traffic yeah, yeah. himself. And like, I did a couple of attempts. Last one was like about a year ago, not on the newest version of the controller, but it just didn't work. I couldn't get traffic down to the, uh, I mean, it was some gibberish thing yeah. going into the service. And I, spo- I I think I went to the Slack spoke to the people who use it and it felt like no one actually managed to get it to work ever so probably i'm doing something wrong or once i worked with that past role so i didn't get it to work i looked at nginx but then uh, i talked with a developer and they really want this like all these different canary release and stuff so i ended up with traffic in my oh yeah uh, i heard it's performing really good and, uh, and I love the more, I would say, maybe modern set or like they have like Prometheus metrics goes directly. They have integration with APMs. They have open tracing. You can enable that. The logs are in JSON. Super good parsing for like mm. Elastic. It's doing really, really good actually. So I'm really, really glad. I have a, a, an experience with traffic. So back in 2018, so it's like uh, three years ago. Yeah. Uh, we were thinking about using traffic for a, a customer, and uh, we, we reach out to them and say, "Hey, we, we need some enterprise feature. Um, how much do you charge?" And it, it it took them a week to reply, and it was so funny because it's more like somebody want to give us money. What should we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, now they're much better. You know, it's much more streamlined yeah, yeah. experience. But uh, it, it was, mm. it, it was so funny because it started as an open source project from yeah, yeah. you know the, the frustration of some of the of the other load balancer config, and it, yeah. it evolved with this time really well. Like they really listened to the community. Yeah. I think uh, tra- traffic would be a really good. Uh, there is also Kong. Yeah, Kong. I looked at Kong as well. It's more API gateway. But yeah. I like with traffic also is like you can set up a console as a backend. Yeah. And then you can shoot in like I set it up for hosting. Then I can shoot in a curl request to the console and you get instant uh, like rule updates in the traffic load balancer. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I would say ingresses are not a big concern. They all work. Yeah, yeah, but the API can, is pretty much the same. So yeah, but yeah, I think you can pick them. They have like a different thing. I mean, traffic is better. Like splitting traffic, blue green deployment, those things. There are traffic. They have read the rules for that. Nginx is not that. When I looked at, they easy to set up those kind of like 90, 70, 10 percent like r- routing rules. I think traffic is coming along the way there. Yeah, yeah. Another thing, like with AQS and with Google Cloud, you can connect the cluster with the AI. So you can get oh. like a role, and then you can set up a service account, and you can connect those two. And then, I mean, the service account can make changes to the cluster. I use this, for example, for external DNS. It's a perfect example. You spin up the the pod, it listens for, for ingress, and then when it updates, it updates route 53 with the new rules. What are your takes on this, this integration? I love it. I love yeah, yeah. On Google Cloud, it's called workload identity, and yeah. the number of secret needed just dropped considerably yeah, 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 yeah. By, uh-huh. by just uh-huh. enabling that. Although, I have to say, if you're using some pre-built manifest or Helm charts, it might interfere 
a little bit with that. Uh, but otherwise, is is just like so good. The, yeah, the, yeah. the the flexibility you get compare and the less less hassle with secrets and you know rotating them, updating them here. Everything is just connected. It's it. I think yeah. it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. And you you have the same one with EKS. So EKS would provide you with an open connect ID provider. Yeah, endpoint. And then you can define the roles that could be assumed by the identities defined in that OpenID Connect provider. And in this way, the pods will be able to consume STS-bound uh, credentials. So you don't need to provide AWS credentials to your pods. Like other ways of doing that, for instance, if you're running your own cluster, right, then you would have to yeah, provide yeah some kind of set of keys or rely on a role that is on a node, which means that all pods share the same role, and that's undesirable. Yeah. You could, for instance, do that through the either secrets, like where secrets, config maps, or like, for instance, using Vault and issue dynamic ones. But if you integrate with uh, the cloud through their managed solution like EKS, then it's, again, solved for you, so you have less things to solve and those credentials are more robust because like if you lose connection to vault then your port might not be able to renew its credentials they will expire and then you have a trouble to deal with so yeah. yes like that's i am integration is one of the biggest reasons why you should go with a managed solution yeah yeah so and, uh, you talked about another integration as well, the Pulumi cross library. Yeah, so that's something that Pulumi published this week, and we are recording on the February fourth. So, and uh, what they claim they did is that they enabled you to write a library in one language, and that works for EKS. So EKS was the first resource that they supported this way. You write a library in one language and then consume that library in a different language. So, if I understand that correctly, so you can write the infrastructure library in GoLang and yeah. then consume it in TypeScript or Python, which yeah. is super powerful. So, basically, your infrastructure team might be using, I don't know, Python, for instance, or like GoLang. Yeah. But then, if the development team wants to provision the uh, architecture using the templates provided by the operation teams and they can just take those consume those libraries provided by the by the infrastructure team and just build their own stuff so they don't need to learn additional DSL like yeah. it is Terraform, which is good and bad yeah because people do write bad code and they more often write bad code than the good code and <laughs> DSL kind of keeps you a little bit in the boundaries, you know. It's harder to write bad stuff with DSL because it limits you. I, I have to say that uh, since last time we did our, our show about uh, infrastructure as code, I was a little bit wondering, like, why would anyone use Pulumi? And yeah. I find out that when you use a language and you have uh, completion right on, you know, embedded into your editor, you can save a lot of time there because you have you might have type uh, safety 
okay, it, it doesn't prevent you to crash something in production or anything, but the, I find that the user experience is actually quite good and requires less knowledge of the underlying thing because you have some some kind of checks that can be done easy, I would say easier than if you yeah. use a DSL. But yeah. honestly, that's that, that's the only take back. I haven't tried uh, Pulumi uh, in a while, so I, I'd like to see what, like how far they've come since we talked about it. Yeah, they seem to be moving in some direction and they seem to have a vision. So I'm very curious to see where it, where they will end up. So maybe yeah. a topic for another episode. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about that. This episode is at its ends. So I will say thank you for listening and stay tuned for more shows. And uh, the notes are going to be on the webpage, right? DevSecOps.fm. Yeah, okay. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias Andre and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.